Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Well, today we're going to continue in our study of Philippians, and we'll be in chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And I like to call this the profile of a prize-winning Christian. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Let me go ahead and read that passage. Verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the, pri- the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. <clears throat> we all like to see uh, sports competitions in some way, and we all like to see winners of that competition. Whatever your sport is tonight, we have hockey playoffs in Dallas and the Mavs playoff game, determinative game. Um, you know, you don't get to be on a professional team very easily. It takes a lot of work. To be a winner, it takes a lot of work. What is it that goes into someone who is a winner? The sport I'm most familiar with lately and for much of my life is, is um, the event of pole vaulting, which, you know, it's when you take a big long pole and you run and you stick it in the, in the ground and it takes you up high. <clears throat> I've always been fascinated with the sport, so I did it in high school. And then I, and then I ended up coaching my son in junior high and, and his classmates and then also in high school. And then I started doing it myself after he graduated. And now uh, I've coached junior and senior high school for 20 years. We just finished my 20th season coaching. And um, I tell you, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. There's a certain amount of natural ability a person needs to pole vault. They have to be athletic in a certain way and and certain body shapes work better than others, to be honest with you. And, um, but the ones who do anything in that very difficult sport have worked very hard at it. I tell the young people when they come out, that USA to, uh, ESPN calls this the second hardest sports maneuver to master. First is hitting a fastball professionally thrown. It's a very, very difficult uh, maneuver to master. And um, I tell them also that don't expect to bend the pole and go up until about the second year. It's just muscle memory, muscle memory, muscle memory. And I've I've uh, one time sat down and listed about 50 different coaching points, and there's probably twice as many, 50 different things you have to deal with each teenager about what to do. From how to hold the pole to how to run, to how to plant the pole, how to go up and swing up, and how to go over the bar and turn, uh, which direction is the wind blowing, what size pole do you use, very, very technical. But it's a lot of fun for me, and uh, 
to watch the, the kids, I call them, uh, progress through it. I think I've coached 13 state champions um, in my career, plus countless second and third places. So it's been very rewarding for me. But I know what it takes to win in that sport. It takes a lot of work, and it takes what we're going to talk about today in our outline of this passage, the things that it takes to win. You might have a favorite sports hero, but believe me, he or she did not get there very easily. And, you know, the Apostle Paul uses sports quite often as an analogy for the Christian life. He also uses military service a little bit, farming sometimes, analogies, but he seems to always go back to a sports analogy. In those days, they probably didn't, I don't know, but they probably didn't have team sports like basketball, soccer, baseball, but it was mostly track and field, mostly racing, jumping, and things like that. So we have a lot of allusions to racing and running in Paul's writings. One thing is certain is that he compares the Christian life to running in a race or a contest. And he assumes that in this Christian life, there are no bystanders. We don't just stand and stare and watch, but everyone, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, is in the race. The thing is about the race that we're in as Christians, we're not competing against one another. We're not competing, thank God, against professional racers, runners. We, we are competing really against ourself, ourselves. <clears throat> Now, in this passage, Paul's going to talk about what it takes to win. But uh, we'll just remember, remember that in verse 8, he talks about how he has counted all things lost for the knowledge of Christ. There he recognizes the fact that he was justified through faith, not on the basis of what he did, but on the basis of what Jesus has done for him. And that's how he gained Christ in verse 8. In verse 9, he moves on into the Christian life to speak of the sanctification process. After being found in Christ, not with his own righteousness, um, in verse 11, he goes on to talk about knowing him and the power of his resurrection. So he's growing in this knowledge of Jesus Christ and in the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. He notices and recognizes the process that's going on in the Christian life if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, which I understand Paul is simply saying is if uh, and since I will be there at the rapture event. This is what I'm going to be doing in the meantime. I'm going to be conformed on the way to that rapture event when I will be totally transformed. And so he's really continuing this discussion about what is his uh, main uh, aim or a thrust in life, which is to be like Jesus Christ. And there's a prize involved for that. <clears throat> and I'm going to use an outline uh, to, to, that I stole from Warren Wiersbe, a well-known Bible teacher. I just like the way he alliterated um, what it takes to win here. And so I'm just going to use his words. I'm filling in the, my own content, but uh, they're all going to be D words, make it easy for you, okay? Verse 12 says that what it takes to win is, first of all, you have to be dissatisfied. Dissatisfied, verse 12. Paul's saying, not, not that I've already attained. He hasn't made it there yet or am already perfected. 
he hasn't attained perfect Christ-likeness, nor has he been totally perfected. That word perfected can mean, uh, there's, there's kind of a general range of meaning. It means to reach a goal or an end uh, or to come to completion. So here in the context, he's talking about being perfected, I think, in Christ's presence. He'll use the word later to speak more of maturity, and it can indeed mean that. But here he's talking about attaining to Christ-likeness totally. Um, so he's dissatisfied with the state he's in. He's not content to be static or stagnant in the Christian life. Never ever does the Bible speak in a good way of standing still in the Christian life. We all should be moving forward. <clears throat> and he says uh, that he presses on that he may at that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold on him. I think this reminds us of Acts chapter 9, where on the Damascus Road, Jesus appeared to Paul and laid hold of him. Uh, almost a literal way. I mean, there he was, uh, no escape. There Jesus appeared to him, and he recognized him and was converted at that time. Now, in the background of all the things, by the way, that Paul is talking about, probably are, is the knowledge that there are some false teachers in Philippi that are really confusing the church and causing some to go at each other. So remember that Philipp Philippians was written to bring, kind of bring peace to the church and get everybody on board with the mind of Christ. Let's all be thinking with the same uh, attitude that Jesus displayed for us. So he's, in some sense, warning them about a false spirituality that says, well, you've arrived. You know, there's those kind of religions today that teach, well, if you get the second blessing, you know, you're a complete Christian. Or if you speak in tongues, you're a complete Christian. Or even you can reach a state of perfection where you don't sin anymore. I've actually had conversation recently with someone who believed that he doesn't sin anymore. And um, that there's that kind of teaching going around. And Paul is very clear here that he hasn't attained that kind of perfection. He's still pressing on in the journey. He's not standing still. A good example of those who are self-satisfied spiritually would be the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3. Verse 17 there describes the church there at Laodicea and says, uh, the Lord says, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and naked. So here they thought they were doing so great. <laughs> he calls them poor, wretched, blind, naked, uh, because they're just standing still thinking that I don't need anything. <clears throat> That's Jesus' evaluation of them. So not that he has attained. Attained what? I think that uh, he has not yet attained what he mentioned in verse 11, um, 10 and 11, that full conformity to Jesus's death, which will only really be realized fully at the rapture event or if the Lord were to return for us. He's still in the race. He's not claiming to have arrived. And I think that that is a message to those perhaps in Philippi who were teaching that if you keep the law, you could live a perfect life and you can keep the law perfectly because many Jews believe that. They believe that the law was a way to perfect our lives and to make them our, ourselves righteous before God. And so by keeping rules, whether they be the Old Testament law or other rules that are thrust upon us, 
Some people teach that you can reach perfection that way. And Paul's saying, no, in this life, it's a journey. It's a, a race. We'll get perfection someday, but that's our goal, and we should live with that goal in mind. But none of us have reached it. So Paul shows to some degree that he is dissatisfied, and he wants to reach that perfection or that full maturity that comes when we see Christ face to face. It's a process. Romans 8, 29 tells us that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's why, <clears throat> that's why God saved us. That's why he's working in our lives to, together to make all things good. Verse 28 is so that we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's a process. When we see him, we will be transformed. So today, I wonder if you were to do a little self-evaluation. Do you feel self-satisfied or dissatisfied? Do you feel like you're doing well on your spiritual journey? Or are you happy just to sit where you are? If a giant like Paul needed to grow, that might hint that all of us could stand to grow some. And then the question is, in evaluating yourself, who are you comparing yourself to? In your spiritual growth or this race that we're in, are you comparing yourself to somebody you know? Wouldn't it be better to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ himself and say, how far do I have to grow to be like him, not like my neighbor or not like my fellow church friends? How are you doing in the last five years? Can you see progress from five years ago or 10 years ago? Do you see more fruit in your life? Do you see people hearing the gospel or responding to the gospel? And are you growing in love? Are you growing in your contentment? Are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your joy? Have you advanced your personal ministry in some way? Found new avenues to serve other people? If not, then there might be some cause for you to be dissatisfied. And for all of us to do a little reflection and say, I really could stand to grow more. And I think that's what Paul is expressing here is that dissatisfaction. And he goes on in verse 13 to say, uh, to show that the, the second part of a profile of a winning Christian is devoted. He, he or she has to be devoted. Um, and so he's, he's saying to them that he doesn't consider himself to have apprehended or gained that thing, but just one thing he does. One thing he does, forgetting the things which are behind, reaching forward to those things are ahead. So he's got a single goal. One thing I do, he says. Paul is consumed by that one passion of knowing and becoming more like Jesus Christ, not being distracted by all the things in life that can distract us. I'm reminded of the story in Luke chapter 10 of Mary and Martha when Jesus visited them. It's one of my favorite stories because Martha says, oh, Jesus is coming. I got to go get, get some food ready and I got to cook and I got to clean the house. And she's running, bound, 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 bouncing off the walls. And Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. There's only Mary has chosen the better thing. Mary has chosen the better thing. That kind of reflects where we all are in life, doesn't it? We have so many things to distract us. 
You know, we're in one sense, we all have spiritual ADHD, you know, <laughs> it's like um, I, I get on Amazon to let's say I, my goal is to buy something on Amazon. And as I'm going there, I, I see something else pop up. And so I'm over here and that reminds me of something else I need to do over here. And then I haven't answered that email over here. Oh, yeah, I better do that. And before you know it, I'm all over the place bouncing around the Internet. In this case, the Internet's our mall these days, isn't it? There's always things like that to do around the house, chores. You know, you start one chore, you walk into the room and, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And my wife asked me to do that and that and that. So we have spiritual ADHD, attention deficit disorder. And there's some people who really deal with that as a problem in life. But I think spiritually we're all easily distracted because uh, there's so many things required in life of us people relationships finances work responsibilities personal health and hygiene i mean home everything we just tend to get very very distracted and lose sight of the simplicity of life and how it could be focused on jesus what is your goal in life? Maybe you have many goals in life, but I think we all would share the same goal of knowing Christ better and becoming more like him. In spite of all the distractions around us and everything that demands our attention, if we could keep that in mind, we would be devoted and on our way to being a prize-winning Christian. The second part of 13, another word that would describe a prize-winning Christian, is directed. Because he says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things are ahead. So Paul is saying that in order to win this race, I can't look back. Forgetting the things that are behind. Uh, Paul could have thought about all the hardships he's been through and dwell on them and get bitter and, uh, or fearful about the future because of his past, but he didn't let that drag him down. You know, if something bad happens to me, you get burned by a stove, I don't wanna get burned twice. If somebody treats, mistreats me, I don't wanna get mistreated again, but we'll see when we study 2 Corinthians, you know, he was beaten several times, he was stoned several times, he went through all kinds of things. If he had dwelled on the past, he never would have made forward progress. So forgetting here is a conscious decision to not dwell on the past. It's not like it'll, it's left our memories or left Paul's memories, but he is saying that he does not choose to dwell on past things. He has decided to forget. So some of the things in the past, our past can be bad things, unfortunate things, but also, I think Paul is, has in mind the good things. We don't want to dwell on the good things either in the sense that, oh, yeah, I, you know, I won first place. And we live there the rest of our lives when there's so much more to do or to achieve. We call it resting on our laurels or resting on the awards that we've won. You know, some people live in the past like that, but that impedes their forwards progress. And Paul, instead of looking backwards, he says, I press forward. He says in verse 13, um, to those things which are ahead. 
Now this idea of pressing forward has the idea of super extending. He's extended himself to the max to reach out and win the race. You've probably seen in any, uh, any type of foot race, like in the, if you watch the Olympics, how the race can be so close, especially in the sprints, how if two people are coming head to head up to the finish line, the one that just reaches out first or lunges forward or leans forward like that is the one who wins by a nose, but that's all it takes. And that's kind of the picture here when he says, when, when he says that he is reaching forward to the things which are ahead. He's not distracted by the past. He doesn't deal with the sins of the past or the guilt and the abuse of the past, his failures in the past. And boy, Paul had a lot to dwell on. He used to persecute and kill Christians. We can't change the past, but we can change the meaning of the past. For example, you know the story of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph was, uh, they, his brothers plotted to kill him, but instead they threw him in a hole and they sold him to uh, uh, some Bedouin travelers as a slave, and then he was sold into Egypt as a slave. Uh, he became uh, a part of Pharaoh's household, however. And at the end of his life, when his brothers finally found him and recognized him, he said, man meant it for evil, but God used it for good. Joseph wasn't going to live in the past in bitterness and unforgiveness towards his brothers who did this evil against him. He was looking forward actually to returning to the promised land because he made them take promise to take his bones back, although he never made it himself in the flesh. That's a good example of, of forgetting the past and leaving it behind. We break the power of the past by living for the future. I'm always sad to see someone who, as terrible as things have happened to them, whether it be a lost child or a divorce or a business failure, they, they are stuck there and they're living there and they're thinking about that and it keeps them from going forward. But when we focus on the future, we're forced to neglect or forget the past. It's a principle of replacement. In our minds, we replace the past and bad memories with that which is positive, in this case, becoming more like Jesus Christ. But one thing is sure, you cannot go forward if you're always looking backwards. Karen and I drove uh, from Burleson to be here today, but uh, I looked forward. I didn't look in the rearview mirror to get here. <laughs> I never would have made it. You don't drive your car forward by looking in the rearview mirror. So you are directed and you can move forward no matter what has happened in the past. God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God of new beginnings and new goals and new achievements that still await us. So we can be distracted by past sins or by past successes either but we have to keep our eyes on our goal which is to be like jesus christ and keep proceeding forward towards him
Well, we said that somebody who has a winning profile as a Christian is dissatisfied, he's devoted, he's directed. You ready for another D? How about determined in verse 14? Determined. Paul says, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That, that word press there has the idea of pursuing something. It was used as a, of a hunter pursuing prey, uh, chasing down prey. He's pursuing or pressing forward towards that, that goal, which is the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I think when he talks about the upward call of Christ Jesus, he's talking about the reward of knowing Christ and being rewarded by him. To know Christ is the reward. The relationship is the reward. This upward call uh, is a, is, implies an upward look at Jesus Christ instead of just keeping our eyes on things of the world. It may be that that term was used because in the days of the athletics then and as today, the winner was asked to come out and step up to a podium or platform and receive his award. You have in mind the Olympic sports, when, when they win the medals, they put them up on a platform. They're called up to the platform. When they uh, win many different sports, team sports, they're called up onto the stage. And so Paul is looking for this upward call where he will receive his reward. And that reward, I believe, it, to him was Christ-likeness. And that's what he's pressing forward to. But he recognized that there was a price to pay. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we as Christians put as much devotion and determination into pursuing Christ-likeness as we do golf or football or I don't know, what, who should I pick on? Myself, fishing. <laughs> Fishing would be my weakness, or fashion, or a hobby, video games. Imagine all the passion and determination that goes behind some of these distractions in life, whether, even though they may be good things. Music. If we put that passion and determination into knowing Christ better, God wants us to be that determined Christian who's pressing forward, who's pursuing that goal and looking for that prize of being like Jesus Christ. And then a fifth characteristic of a prize-winning Christian, he's disciplined. She is disciplined. And that comes in verses 15 and 16. And that's the fifth D in the final point. Verse 15, he's talking about those of us who are mature. Now here he's using the same word he did up in verse 12. There he was talking more about being perfectly or reaching the final goal of Christ-like. But here he's using the word mature or complete in a more relative general sense of being, you know what a mature Christian is. We don't need to explain that for him. It's kind of like you'll know it when you see it. Somebody who's discerning, someone who's disciplined, someone who's faithful. They had, not that they're perfected or reached the final goal, but he wants those who have that kind of spiritual maturity and have this mind he talks about. Now remember, he's used this idea of 
having the mind of Christ throughout the book of Philippians, thinking like Christ thinks with a servant attitude. He recognizes that there's a growing process. He said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I thought like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Now it's time to think like a mature person. If you've raised children, you know the difference between how a child thinks about maybe something like immediate self-gratification, whereas the adult understands the virtues of patience and waiting and saving and then enjoying something that shows and reflects maturity. I think Paul is saying, let's act our age. If we're mature in Christ, then this is the way we should be thinking. And if you think otherwise, he said, God will reveal it even this to you. In other words, if you're seeking something other than Christ, then God uh, will show you. If you think something else is more important than pursuing the knowledge of Jesus Christ and, and being complete in him, God will point that out to you in life and what you should do about it. And then in verse 16, he goes on, um, <clears throat> nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, in other words, to the degree that we have grown in Christ and we know these things, uh, let us walk by the same rule. In other words, let's live up to the truth that we've already attained. This principle of maturity and growth. I think he recognizes that our conduct and our lack of discipline, our lack of focus, our lack of forward progress in the Christian life can disqualify us from the contest. As we've seen in so many different sports, you have to play according to the rules. You can't deflate the football so it's easier to pass, Tom Brady. Or Lance Armstrong, you can't dope your blood to win seven Tour de France tours, I think it is. Ben Johnson in the Olympics past was declared the fastest man on earth when he won the $100 100-meter 100 100-meter 100 sprint until they found out he had also used drugs. We have biblical examples of those who have been disqualified. Moses, because of his sin of striking the rock, never entered the promised land. Saul, King Saul, because he offered inappropriate sacrifices when he wasn't supposed to, was disqualified as king and David instead was chosen. Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the early church, dropped dead in church. We can disqualify ourselves by reckless, careless, neglectful conduct. And Paul, I think, is reminding us that we have to be disciplined. You know, he uses this idea in another, a number of other places when he speaks of uh, the Christian life as like a race. Um, or in 1 Corinthians 9, he compares it even to boxing. You know, I beat my body into subjection lest I be disqualified. He says he's disciplining himself lest he become disqualified. He doesn't mean lest I lose my salvation. He means disqualified from winning the prize. Or in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where he talks and compares the Christian life to a soldier and a farmer and an athlete. 
And of the athlete, he says, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. There are rules or we can be disqualified. So what he's telling us here is that we need to be disciplined and to, to walk as we know we should walk and to be of the same mind which he has pictured for us and explained to us is the mind of Christ, which is a mind of servanthood, serving others, esteeming others better than ourselves. Can I review for you the profile of a prize-winning Christian with my alliterated outline that I stole from Warren Wearsby? Need to be dissatisfied where you are in your Christian walk. You need to be devoted to going forward. You need to be directed and not looking back, but directed to the goal. You need to be determined to reach that goal, press forward towards it. And you need to be disciplined, disciplined so that you're not disqualified. When you think of those characteristics, I wonder how we fit the profile as we examine ourselves. No one, not one of us, has, can say that we have arrived at the goal. In fact, in this life, we would all say that we can never arrive at the goal perfectly. We can only proceed towards it. We don't achieve the goal of perfect Christ-likeness until he returns for us and transforms us or we die, <clears throat> die and go to be with him in his presence and then we are fully glorified. So it might serve us well to think today about what is in the way of our forward progress. What have we been spending too much time doing, which may be good, but a distraction what is it that takes away from your spiritual devotions? What is it that takes away from your Bible study? What is it that takes away from your Christian service? What is it that steals your time? What is it that steals your energy, your emotional energy, your spiritual energy, your physical energy? Can our life be rearranged in any way to be more devoted to pursuing Jesus Christ and Christ-likeness? and to winning that prize and being called up by him to our reward someday, to stand on the podium for Jesus to say, well done, well done, and to give us our rewards. Well, Father, we thank you for the chance today to think about our lives, and we know that we failed to measure up not only to you, but even the Apostle Paul that we read about. We admire his determination in life to be like you and we want to mimic him and learn from him so help us lord to see what it is that might keep us from growing into christ likeness help us to have that insight and then give us the grace to proceed forward and grow in him that others might be positively affected by our our goal, our determination, our ministry, our lives, because we really do want them to represent you. And we thank you for our time together today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website 
at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.